Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Expel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Laurent Bilk of Alternative Macro Signals, the macro data provider. In our conversation, Laurent and I discuss his background as an economist at the ECB in Citadel and the differences between working for a central bank and a hedge fund and how alternative macro signals predict inflation. Meanwhile, if you have a notable or new data set that you would like to discuss on the podcast, do get in touch. So in this episode, I'm joined by Laurent Bilk of Alternative Macro Signals. Thank you very much for joining us today, Laurent. Thank you. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Um, so Laurent, I um, so why don't we start? Why don't you begin by just saying uh, very briefly, what is Alternative Macro Signals? What is the, what is the product? Yeah, so we apply natural language processing, web scrapping to try and retrieve um, news relevant to uh, a certain macro uh, question and we aggregate that information so the main the main question we're looking at is inflation so we detect news relevant to the near-term inflation forecast and we we aggregate that information fantastic excellent um and laurent you are the first person that i have spoken to in a in the absolutely wonderful location of of Chamonix which is I believe where where you're based in the in the French Alps which is known as a as a kind of paradise ski resort in the winter and and presumably fantastic walking in the in the summer so um so congratulations for having having been able to uh, to to set up work there that sounds uh, that sounds pretty dreamy um but you. Uh, but you that you've you've told me when I when we've talked about it before you told me that you've also you've done your time in the in the kind of the sweat pots of the world of of London and Paris and, and New York etc. So um and you've had a very interesting interesting career before before you got to here. So let's let's dwell a little bit on that because your background is you've worked for Citadel, you've worked in you worked for Namura, um you've done you've done various things, but it's always been quite macro focused. Can you just quickly run us through? Um, what your what your previous background was? Yes, you're right. Well, th- thank you. Uh, you're right. I'm not aware of many uh, data firms based in Chamonix, but I'm sure it's only <laughs> it's only the start. Um, my background is, as you said, in, in macro. Uh, I've been I started in central banks actually, in uh, the Banque de France and uh, the European Central Bank. I've always been very focused on inflation and macro macro issues and trying to make the connection with. Uh, with asset classes, um, and in macro discretionary in the last few years, um, yeah, I've been I've been working a lot on inflation, really, in uh, in uh, in those various funds. Uh, so it's always been inflation has always has always um, linked your your interest. So you were at the European Central Bank in 04 to 07. So at that point, the European Central Bank was quite a new concept. Um, was the the um, Germany was Germany still the sick man of Europe at that point, or is it had it uh, had it come out of that and was was beginning to to go great guns? I think it was coming out at that point. Out. Yeah, 
had a tough nineties, didn't it? After the after the reunification. Um, That's true. We forgot but, that actually. Yeah. Um, so we go from European Central Bank through to Lehman as a as a senior European economist, which for some reason ends in September two thousand and eight. I can't think why. Um, but uh, and then and then Namura November two thousand and eight two thousand eleven as a senior economist rate strategist, and then to Citadel as lead economist, um, uh, and head of research for global fixed income. And then through to uh, Stone Millen Asset Management as a head of research and economist. Uh, I mean, broadly speaking, what does a um, what does a what does a lead lead economist do for a hedge fund? Um, are you are you um, are you trying to literally predict what inflation will be and 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 and, and essentially similar to what you're doing at a central bank? Um, are you? Um, analyzing the research and providing the kind of in-house view narrative on this is what inflation looks like today and this is what it will look like in you know this is my 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 short medium long-term forecast is it is it as simple as that or do you have more unusual and kind of um you know uh, less less obvious um uh, uh roles there as well in a hedge fund i think in, in a sense that's what that's what you said but uh with a few uh but taking the problem maybe from a slightly different angle than you would in the in the sell side and and uh, and of course the central bank, um, I believe the angle in a hedge fund is going to be a lot more about uh, what's consensus today and what are the risks around consensus. So when you work in a hedge fund, you've got fantastic resources, access to all the sell side research, and there's a lot of it, and it's good quality plus all the alternative data and uh, uh, alternative uh, research providers out there. Uh, so you've got a lot of information to process and a lot of resources to to use, to rely on. And your job is really to uh, go and challenge those sources um, and, and uh, assess where where the risks uh, where the risks are. Um, and so it's not in a sense, it's not very different. You, you, you're working on the same questions. But uh, your starting point is for sure a little different because you you rely on all that uh, external knowledge, if we can say. Did you feel you had better access to information at the central bank or at the hedge funds? So definitely had access to more sources of information in a hedge fund. Um, what you have in central banks that you don't necessarily find in a hedge fund is access to high quality, very skilled specialist in your in your area so um yeah it's a it's a mixed picture i'm not sure what 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 the um yeah what no, it makes is, sense is the question. It, it makes sense and um do you did you do you find you have to change your mindset in it always it's always struck me everybody loves to beat up on the on the central bankers in the markets because you know they've you know they've they're clearly getting the interest rates wrong you know i thought they should hike or, or whatever um but it's always struck me that central bankers need to be um conservative they need to be um boring essentially um and 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 track that kind of very slow moving trend whereas a um, a hedge fund, by definition, is trying to what well, can they're 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 looking for the edge. They're looking for 
perhaps where the central banker might be wrong, but they can take a risk perhaps more often um, and try and make money off it. And if they don't make money, then maybe they'll make money next time. Whereas a central banker has to be a little bit, uh, is, is playing with, you know, a vast economy with a whole load of working people who can't afford for them to be wrong essentially because it could it could have huge effect on lives etc so did you do you find that when you're making the step from uh, from central bank to a hedge fund does your did, did your um mentality change or did you find that you were still exactly the same central banker but just from inside inside a different place no no you're right it's changed a lot and uh, for the reason you described it's not the focus is different uh you wouldn't be you wouldn't be happy if uh, the central banks were changing their minds every couple of months, right? Whereas if you're in a macro hedge fund in a fast-moving environment, you have to. That's that's the right thing to do. So um, I think it's a good thing to, when you work in a hedge fund, to have had some exposure to the thinking, the thought process that people have in central banks, because it reminds you that of that difference, that uh, inherent interesting difference that you need to take into account to assess properly what central banks are doing but uh, it is for sure it is for sure a big difference between the two worlds and it has to be has to be that way and looking big picture right now looking at the looking at the at the at the economy right now um just a big broad question Central banks obviously um, have a huge effect on the market, and and probably we end up talking about the Fed here, I suspect. But you can you can take it from ECB perspective if you'd like to. Um, central banks have a have a big effect on the market, um, but they also listen very hard to the market. And there's sometimes the question of, is it the central bank that's leading, or is it the market that's leading and the central bank that's listening and reacting? This may be too hard to unpick, but. Would you would you say um, which would you say is dominant at the moment? Do you think the do you think the central banks are, f- are shaping the market that we're in more, or do you think the market is shaping the the central bank more, or is it just too you know is it too symbiotic and impossible to say? Oh, it is very much a two ways relationship. There are there are times when um, markets are definitely leading, and that's been that's been happening in the last uh, two three years. Uh, I believe central banks have been uh, particularly in Europe, maybe have been a bit slow to acknowledge the, um, the risks of, uh, of uh, rising inflation, of durably rising inflation. Well, many people have, to be fair, but, but, but central banks have been sometimes a bit slow to react. That's true. Uh, but there are other instances where, uh, in a way, the market gets ahead of itself and um, kind of forgets the reaction function of the central bank. Uh, and it strikes me at the moment that um, the reaction function of central banks is pretty simple. It's about inflation, period. Um, and yes, if uh, they need the economy to slow down hard and even get into recession to keep inflation under control, they will do it. We shouldn't have any doubt about that. And I think sometimes the markets have have difficulties with uh, growth inflation trade-off, which is a bit unusual. Uh, at the moment, because you, you you know inflation is very strong despite a slowing economy, uh, but they shouldn't really because uh, it's very it's very straightforward. It's all about inflation and should be. Mm. And unemployment in America. If you're if you're tracking the Fed, then you've also got to be keeping an eye on unemployment as well, don't you? Oh yes, yes, yes. But there there isn't that much of a trade-off at the moment, right? Because the labor market 
in the US, or even in Europe, actually, are still pretty strong. It's holding up. Okay, so let's get on to alternative macro signals, which is your um, your uh, Chamonix-based um, alternative data provider company. How did this come about? Before you did, before you started, actually, in, and in conjunction with you working at alternative ma- data founding alternative data macro alternative macro signals. Apologies, um, you were at Bilk Finance uh, Finance Research. Which sounds like it was your it was your company. How did how did um, how did this data providing data provider come about? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a process over the years, right? The the, the idea didn't just uh, come out within within a few weeks or transitioning from one job to the other. It's uh, it's really about uh, uh, what I've gone through in the last few years and my experience in hedge funds in particular, and um, I've been working for a bit in. Uh, macro discretionary as you as you said uh, and uh, in macro discretionary uh, we deal with news events uh, and narratives all the time right that's 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 what we do for a living really uh, but do we do it really in a consistent systematic way um, not sure uh, we, we have one big well most people have one big source of information for um, text data which is Bloomberg, right, where they get most of their news from, really. Uh, but there's so much more around. So the question I've been trying to to deal with over over the years in Hedgefund, and and now I'm trying to help solve more actively, um, is how do we make sure that we do not miss critical data, and in particular, unstructured data, text data, where it matters the most. We've talked about inflation. Inflation is a great use case because if you uh, if you're trying simply to forecast inflation, uh, you know that one two three months ahead, most of the volatility in inflation will come from idiosyncratic shocks. Um, what I mean by that is uh, small items moving around in almost random ways, unpredictable ways, and there's no good way to there's no good time series to to track these shocks most of the time, but they will come out as uh, as narratives, as uh, news stories uh, in news articles. So, so these are the things you really, really need to stay on top of and, and, and track carefully if you want to, go, to do a good job at forecasting inflation in the short term. And the truth is inflation in the short term is everything, right? It's, you can get it right uh, six months, two years ahead, it doesn't really, really matter if you get it. If you got it plain wrong uh, in the in the in the short term, so um, so that's what we tried to do. So we, you were we, so you were so you were you basically you have been wrestling with this for a long time because you've been trying to predict short term inflation, um, and you had been looking at the traditional sources and knowing that having a the, the horrible feeling that that it's just outside your grasp that the that the that the way to answer these questions is. Um, out there in unstructured data, so by which, and maybe you can you can go into more detail. But you know, you could be talking about news articles all around the world, perhaps in different countries and different different languages or, or whatever. Um, but there is there is the data out there which is basically saying the situation on the ground in a in a different country, or or perhaps local journalism might be saying on a in a in a kind of local sector or or, or whatever. The 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 there is information about the situation on the ground being printed every day and the challenge if somebody could actually 
get hold of it all and pass it and extract the meaning from it, then that could be a solution which could much more accurately um, predict short-term inflation. And that is what you've set out to do. Exactly. That's exactly that. So we, we query hundreds of thousands of new sources in multiple languages. Um, we seven languages at the moment. So English, French, German, Italian, Spanish, Chinese. And we just recently had a Japanese um, to do that, to detect news relevant to the near-term inflation forecast and, and aggregate that information. And, and, and yes, there's no way you're going to predict correctly near-term inflation in Japan or even across Europe if you don't scan through in detail uh, local sources uh, local news articles, right? Uh, there's no way you can do that accurately by with with with, with the more standard uh, uh, methods that pe- that people are doing. Do you have to? Do you have to? In order to forecast inflation in Japan, do you also have to um, scan through global um, functions as a result of Japan being obviously such a heavily trading country? Um, do you would it be impossible to solve this question by just looking within japan is is the more you add languages the more you become more global does is that important in order to get those kind of national level inflation figures in a way um but the not not most of the time so i'd say the immense majority of news about japan inflation comes from japan and is in japanese uh, you may get some in other languages, but it will not be as timely. Uh, it will be more rare or more, much more limited. And when I say the immense majority, is, there's no, it's not even close, right? It's something like 98%. Um, yeah. But uh, there's one case where things are a bit different. I think it's uh, it's China. So when you monitor news in Chinese um, uh, from China, uh, you actually get a lot of information which is relevant for the rest of the world for uh, goods in, 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 in the rest of the world, just because China mm-hmm. is at the, the center of uh, production chains. Um, and, and in a way, those metrics, those, those, that, that information that you get uh, is, uh, is almost more relevant to goods producing in the rest of the world than it is to China inflation, which is dominated by food prices. You'd have a different weighting scheme if you want for 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 China. So I would put China in a different category, but for all the other countries, it's all about um, local and aggregating local anecdotal evidence. I mean, so let's talk about an example, potentially. I mean, if we take if we take supply chain, which has been a big driver, uh, supply chain issues, particularly in shipping, for example, have been a big driver of the rise of inflation over the last two years. Um, I've had a I've got a, a good friend in shipping who's had a very happy two years while everyone else has been has been struggling. But um, that so there is a there is a constraint in supply chain um it's you know goods can't get from china to the us there's there's um ships backed up at um you know at, at west coast ports etc um in that case uh you are finding it it will come up on your radar when um potentially san francisco chronicle says uh you know, ships are backed up at our at our West Coast port, which means, and then it'll start playing into U.S. inflation as a result of that. Is that is that too basic as an example, or are we? Am I being too specific in terms of? Are you looking for that kind of wording? How will you? How would you detect? How would your um, data detect that 
shipping supply chain issue causing inflation or or is or is shipping an inflation or is shipping you know it's a step beyond and actually you're just looking word for words around prices and inflation that's good it's a good one i think it's a very good example obviously now shipping is on everybody's radar right it's been so important mm-hmm. in the last few last few months that uh, we 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 kind of know where to find the data, the relevant data, and uh, it's uh, it's all over the place. But you have to put yourself in the situation where we were one year, 18 months, or even two years ago, where wasn't so much a focus out there uh, for 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 most people. And uh, we 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 did track, we did capture uh, those uh, the change and the uh, increase in prices, et cetera, in a timely fashion. And the way we did it was to, by scanning uh, specialized reviews. When I say we scan through newspaper articles, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than that, actually. And there's a lot of information coming from uh, specialized professional reviews. And in that case, shipping-related publications that would have highlighted something was coming up, pressures were building up, before it became uh, almost a household uh, problem and, and something everybody pays attention to, right? So we got those early signals in the same way that we can get early signals about something happening in the, uh, take a random example, but not irrelevant actually, the insurance sector. If you, tr- if you keep track of uh, uh, a specialized insurance uh, r- reviews and publications and websites, uh, you can, you can see things happening before before it hits the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times. That's for sure. You can you can be several months ahead of uh, of uh, that. So you can be ahead of it. So how does this? So okay. So so let's look at the other end. How does this come out in data? What does your what does your product look like? Um, is it is it a is it a black box which is then spitting out a number and you don't know what's what's caused the number or are you are you building all of this into a into a big pile of information and then and then scrutinizing it um, for a period of time and then and then coming out with your number? Is there a human in the loop? Um, yeah, that's a few questions. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's a good one. Uh, I think our, our approach is really to start with the use case, right? So I'd say it depends on your use case. Um, I've seen, by the way, I've seen many uh, AI uh, projects fail because they put a good model or a good data set at the start. Now you really have to start with the use case. So if your use case here is to forecast inflation or trade near-term inflation, because you can trade uh, the next CPI fixing or HICP fixing, if you want, you can genuinely take a bet on on on, on those numbers. Uh, if you really want to do that, then what you will find interesting in our data is that we provide the uh, new stories. Um, of course, we process them, we aggregate, we summarize, we translate them, we rate them in various ways. But we we provide the basic news stories that you should pay attention to. Uh, and that you may you may have missed. That's one one output. We call that the news bot. Um, it is it is a selection of news relevant to the near term inflation forecast. That's one way to use the data. So probably more uh, for uh, people who are in macro discretionary or central banks maybe. Um, mm. and, and then we aggregate that information. We put this into numbers because we can rate all those stories in in in, in various ways. Uh, we've used uh, supervised 
learning to determine whether news are positive or negative for inflation, for instance. So we can, we can uh, build diffusion indices. And that would be probably more useful to you if you are a systematic fund and what you're looking for is uh, an indicator of, uh, of uh, turning points, uh, an indicator of near-term inflation turning points. Uh, that, that, could be, uh, that could be another use case. Um, and, and we call this set of, uh, of um, uh, indicators, the NEP, the News Inflationary Pressure Indices, those are diffusion indices, essentially. Okay. Um, and so, and who are you selling these to, uh, broadly, obviously? Yeah, yeah, we're selling these to, um, and, uh, we, you know, we've been, we've been doing so for a couple of years. Uh, customer base is um, mostly uh, macro discretionary hedge funds across, um, across the world, really. Okay, fantastic. And that's obviously kind of where you came from and and it was the it was the um so it was the it was where your pain point was and so it's uh, the obvious first port of call do you have ambitions to 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 sell beyond that to um to 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 a wider audience are there other potential um groups of 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 potential customers who might be interested in the future yeah yeah so we we've, we have definitely increasing interest from quantitative uh, systematic um hedge funds for for the second data set i mentioned before um, originally, um, we had limitations with data history because uh, our history for the time series starts the first of January two thousand eighteen, right? If you if you really want to be comprehensive in terms of data scrapping and and, and querying all those sources uh, for consistency issues, uh, we 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 couldn't go much beyond that. Uh, so, so so that's been a bit of a limitation, obviously for. Uh, more quantitative use cases or more systematic, I should say, use cases. Uh, but, uh, you know, as time goes by, uh, we, we, we now have close to five years of daily story and we're getting to the point where uh, the data can be assessed. Also, we have multiple, we have the country dimension and the sector dimension that people can play with. Um, and we've, we've gone through a pretty rough period and uh, those five years have been diverse in terms of inflation trends, right? First down, then yeah. strongly up. So, so it's um, there are things to do with this uh, with this data set over over that period, and uh, we 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 we're building up the 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 our customer base in the systematic side at the moment. Is there is there potential, um, Laurent, in terms of? Um... Is there potential? Because presumably the fact that you are um, your your um, essentially scraping uh publicly available i well you haven't said so but i suspect the majority would be um news sites etc and, and kind of internet based um etc a lot of these things will be in an archive um a lot of uh, you know every every uh major publication will have an archive going back further you may have to pay for it i suppose but is there can you can you foresee an ability to to stretch back in time, if you access some of the archive material, you're, you're, it sounds like you're starting perhaps from the moment you started collecting. But is it possible to go back in time and access, you know, for example, I don't know, the Wayback Machine and the internet has got yes. a, is, 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 has the ability to go back and give you the internet to an extent on a, on a certain date in the past. Um, can you can you foresee an ability to go back? Because if you could push this back, 
I don't know if you could do that, then that could open it up to, you know, 15, 20 years. And then it could then it could start getting incredibly, you know, predictive where based on based on kind of the ability to, um, you know, track record. No, that's that's a very good point. And uh, obviously, we've we've looked at it. And that's something people asked us very, have asked us very often. Um, the short answer is yes, it is possible, but with a much, much reduced sample still, even with the Wayback Machine. Um, I mean, look, we, we, we query really a very, very broad source of uh, a very broad uh, range of uh, sources at the moment. Um, and many, I don't know, county newspapers, university newspapers, really super specialized reviews. Uh, would not even be on the on the way back, or we, we're not able to assess whether everything has been there or not. It's a bit of work. It's something we can probably do on a reduced sample, so say maybe 10% of the sample we use at the moment. Uh, and if we get decent results for those 10%, then we can we can backdate the data as you suggest. I think we can do that for the US because we do have we do have uh, uh, enough uh, sources. We may be able to do it for a few other major economies, but uh, uh, not not all of them. I just wonder. Uh, you mentioned a kind of expanding audience in quants, and they're always very interested in the in the kind of the long term, um, and the and the and the and the long. That's true. The the longer term data sets, yeah. So um, so yeah, could it could help to open that up, but um, but brilliant, Laurent. I think um, I think that's great. Is there anything which uh, which we haven't covered that you would like to mention? No, no, we've done we've done a good job. Thank you, thank you for your time. Fantastic. Well, Laura, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, for joining me. And um, and yeah, I I uh, I wish you I wish you great enjoyment of those of those uh, of those alpine mountains and views, and um, and and the best of success with alternative macro signals going forward. Thank you, Mark. You too. Thank you. Enjoyed the discussion.